Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. So normally when I uh, say good morning to our church, I say it in Spanish. So I want to teach you how to say good morning in Spanish in case you do not know. And it's quite simple. It is buenos dias. Buenos dias. So when I say buenos dias, familia, you can respond. And from now on, if anybody says buenos dias to you, uh, you are going to be able to respond back to them in Spanish. I am uh, very grateful for this invitation and this opportunity to get to preach the Word of God to you. Uh, I do not take this uh, privilege lightly. And so as I've been reading and studying and praying and preparing for today, uh, God has just been very gracious in my personal time with Him uh, as we opened up this Psalm 103. And as you guys have been going through the Psalms over the summer, I know you've discovered very practical wisdom for you to apply in your daily life. I have no doubt as you looked at our brother David, you've seen his life. You've seen how imperfect he was. Uh, a few weeks ago, you heard from Jason that he, he was a man after God's own heart, and yet his life was full of sin that he had to repent of, and only in God's great mercy and great love was he able to receive forgiveness, and that is the reason David was known as a man after God's own heart, because he kept coming back to the Lord uh, in repentance and in faith. And so today, uh, we get to explore a little bit more about what this means for you and me here out of the Psalm 103. So I want you to just for a moment think with me of your favorite restaurant. Okay, just take one second and think quickly. What is your favorite restaurant? Let's say around this area, okay, around this area. Show of hands, how many of you thought Lupe Tortilla? Mm, it's pretty good. I like Lupe. Maybe you thought Perry's. Any Perry's? All right, we got some pork, you know, the pork chop and prairie is really good. Maybe you thought, you know, I have a guilty pleasure. It's actually McDonald's hot and spicy. I don't judge you. It's okay. I have that guilty pleasure too. Whatever it is you thought about, maybe someone's bold enough to say it. Can you tell me out loud? And you guys feel free to talk back while I'm preaching. I, I, I welcome that. But any, anybody want to vocal? And yes, and it's really good. Keepers. Okay. Sushi. All right. I've not heard of keepers. Okay. Okay, we're going to have to try that out. <laughs> this is my wife, Yadira, by the way. Uh, she is my faithful companion here. So um, whatever it is you thought about, I know that one thing's for certain is that anytime you have the opportunity to visit that restaurant, you know your experience is going to be good, whether it be because of the Cerberus or the atmosphere, but more particularly because of the food you're going to go eat at that restaurant. You know that anytime you go to that favorite spot of yours, you're going to have your favorite plate and it's going to be satisfying to you. You're going to end that meal and you're going to say, that was so good and I can't wait to come back again. And in the same fashion, I hope that today's psalm is a psalm that you and I can visit a time and time again as we move in into the future as a psalm of soulful worship. Now, I've titled this sermon Soulful Worship 
for a very specific reason that I think will become obvious as we go through the text. But my hope is that the same way you think about your favorite meal and your favorite restaurant, that when you think about worship, when you think about worship in your life, that you would think about Psalm 103 because this psalm is the, is the purest psalm that I think we find and actually probably the purest scripture that we find in the text and in the Bible that worships, worships God and praises God simply for who he is. As we read through this psalm, you probably heard there was no cry from David for him to cast down his enemies. There was no plea for forgiveness. There was no request for God to heal him. David was simply acknowledging who God is in his life and who God is in general. And out of that birth, this soulful worship. And so we're going to go through this text rather quickly. I know we have 22 verses, and Jason told me I have at least an hour. You guys normally go for an hour, so... I'm kidding. There's no preacher that doesn't make a joke about the time they're going to preach. So I had to put that in there. But I will not be going in hours. But we will go through this rather quickly. We do have these 22 verses. And so what I believe we find here is David's guide for soulful worship. It's, it's David on display showing us what it looks like as believers in God to worship God truly in spirit and in truth. And, and so we're going to get that example. And if you've ever wondered what worship beyond Sunday corporate worship looks like, this is what worship in our lives look like. So let's look at verse one. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. David starts off with some self-talk. Now, if you've ever been out at the store or you've ever been out shopping and you've seen someone talking to themselves, you probably have two thoughts. This person's a little cuckoo. I'm going to stay out of their way. Or they're going through a lot. I'm going to stay out of their way. I don't think any of us would look at a person talking to themselves and think, you know what? Uh, I'm going to go ask them about their worship life, right? We would think, no, I'm going to stay out of that person's way. And yet here David begins with a little self-talk. Why? Because the first thing we find about soulful worship is that it begins with a soul awakening. Soulful worship begins with a soul awakening. What do I mean by this? David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's talking to himself. He's calling out to the deepest parts of himself, to his soul, the place that has the will, that has emotions, that has a drive, that has his feelings. He's telling himself, okay, it's time to wake up, soul, because it's so easy for us to be distracted. This is our daily lives. We are inundated with different images, different struggles, different things that happen in our daily lives. And so David was no foreigner to that experience. In fact, he's the first one that shows us what it looks like to have a very regular life that requires us to continue to come back to the Lord. And the first thing he has to say is, bless the Lord. He's not saying, Lord, bless me. He's saying, bless the Lord. So we have to understand what the word bless here means, and it's quite simple. Actually, the translation at times means kneeling, uh, kneeling before God. And so he's taking this term here, and he's saying, hey, my soul, myself, you need to honor the Lord. You need to recognize God for who he is. And he says, bless the Lord of my soul, the deepest parts of me. And in case that's not enough, all that is within me, bless his holy name. In case I forgot something, everything that's in me, bless his holy name. My wife and I have had the opportunity to be married uh, three years now. We just hit three years this past month. And uh, we moved into a house a couple of years ago and first-time homeowners. We're learning a lot of things that you guys probably are already experts at. And uh, a few months in, she, she asked me to clean the windows. And I thought, this is, I mean... It does not take rocket science to clean the windows in the house. So I go outside, grab a squeegee and some uh, soap, and I just go outside and 
uh, clean all the windows on the outside, come back in, open me a Waterloo. I'm kind of relaxing. And she comes and she says, hey, did, uh, did you finish the windows? Sweetie, they're done. And they're perfect. She goes, all right, well, let's go look at them together. I was like, all right, let's go look at them. Really proud of my work. I'm ready to show off what I've done. And uh, we don't go to the outside. We stay in the inside of the house. And she goes, so you see these blinds? And runs through her finger through the blinds. And what does she find? Full of dust. You see, in my mind, I'd cleaned the windows because I'd gone on the outside and brushed them down. But I'd forgotten that there's like two sides to the window, right? And so when she's asking me to clean the windows, she's saying, hey, I need you to take care of the inside as well. And this is a simple idea and analogy, but it's kind of what I think is happening here with David. So we have this corporate worship that you and I come and we pray and we sing and we listen to the word. And David's saying, but we need to go a little bit deeper. We need to go to the inside parts of ourselves, to the deepest parts of ourselves. And we need to awaken ourselves to worship the one and only true God. And he acknowledges who God is, and he says to the holy God, bless his holy name, because the starting point for our worship is not our need, it's not even the blessings that we've received, it's simply God's holiness. It is that he is far removed from anything we could ever imagine. He's so much greater than that, and that alone is reason enough to worship him. And David is telling himself, hey, I have to awaken to this reality because I am distracted. I'm thinking about other things, even as we worship today, or maybe even now you're thinking, mm, what am I going to have for lunch? Because these thoughts are in our, head, in our heads, and they're constantly distracting us, and David is having to call himself and say, hey, soul, it's time to awaken. It's time to worship the Lord. So soulful worship worship begins with soul awakening. And then he moves on to verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I'll take a quick pause there. He has to remind himself not to forget. How many of you guys forget things throughout the week? I know we all do, right? Like there are things you mean to do, and there's the reasons we have to-do lists on our phones, and maybe you have a tablet that you carry with you or a notepad. Like there's a reason why we have these things, because uh, some of the most important things are so easy to forget because they become mundane to us. And we're about to see what David is asking himself to remember. But he's saying, don't forget all his benefits because it's so easy for us to forget and what is it that we're forgetting? Well, let me take you back to a scripture in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me. If you have your app, just go there with me. Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. This is what's known as the, the Shema, the Creed of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as a frontlets between your eyes. As God is speaking to the people of Israel, he's saying, hey, you have to love the Lord your God. Remember with all that is within you, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And by the way, the way you're able to do this is by diligently teaching this to your kids. It means every day we are talking about God. Every day we're going to the word. Every day we're expressing our belief and our faith in a faithful God. Why? Because we are quick to forget. The people of Israel will know 
were not foreigners to this forgetfulness, right? When they were taken out of, uh, out of Egypt, out of slavery, they quickly said, uh, hey, we should go back to Egypt. Things were so much better there. And they forgot that God had taken them out and taken them to the promised land. You and I are no different than the people of Israel. We quickly forget what God has done for us. And so David says, hey, let's list out some of these things that God has done for us. Verse 3, he who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your disease, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He's the one that forgives you, that heals you, and that redeems you. He has his first three things that David points out are restorative in your life. Now, if you've been walking with Christ for a while now, sometimes it's easy to forget the starting point. And for David, the starting point was he who forgives all your iniquity. He who forgives all your iniquity. You see, the starting point for all of our praise is God's holiness. And out of his holiness, he shows us that, he, that we are sinful, that we are so far from his perfect holiness. And yet he loves us enough that he's forgiven our sins. But that becomes mundane to us at times. We forget what God has brought us from. The, the, the Colossians 1 would say he's taken, taken us out of the, uh, the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his, his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. These are the good news. This is the good news of the gospel, that this holy God would come down and he would forgive you, and he would forgive me, and he would bring us into a right relationship with God. And this is the gospel-centered life that I'm sure you've heard of time and time again here at the church, that as we walk in Christ, the gospel is not just the front door to Christianity. It is not just the opportunity for us to hear about God and believe, and then that's it. We're Christian. No, the gospel-centered life is that as we journey with God every day, we become increasingly aware of his holiness, how great he is, how amazing, how other he is, and we become increasingly aware of our depravity, of our need for him. And this gap becomes so big in our lives that we see the cross is the only thing that unites us to this holy God. And that's why the gospel is such good news for you and for me every single day that we would get to see this holy God, our total depravity and iniquity, and the cross, the beautiful gift of the gospel that brings us to God is, God's, is Christ's sacrifice on that cross. And so David is saying, even before Christ, don't forget his greatest gift so far to me is that he would forgive my iniquities and he heals all your diseases. And we might say, well, forgiving all of our sins, that's a total, total thing that God does for us. So is it possible that he's going to heal all of our diseases? The answer is yes. And it comes in multiple ways. You see, we know that in this flesh and in this body, we will eventually die on this earth, right? We know that the body is decaying, and yet uh, we, and we get sick, and we pray for healing, and the Lord is merciful, and in his great sovereignty, he heals us at times. But David's also talking about a deeper healing that happens here. That's the healing that happens at the soul level. Remember, we're talking about soulful worship at the deepest parts of yourself. What kind of healing happens at the deepest parts of yourself? You see, the, the, the product of sin comes from the root of disbelief. That's the greatest sin that we can have is disbelief. And really at the core of most of our sins is a disbelief. 
It's a disbelief that God is not who he says he is, that God is not going to do what he said he's going to do, that God is not as near. And so instead, we come to our own ways to figure out how to do life to get the things that we want. Some root idols that we find that are easy for us to see are power, control, comfort, approval. These are some big idols in our lives that many times we succumb to because these are the things that we try to use to control our lives, to get the things that we want out of life, to get the American dream to get that suburban perfect life, the two and a half kids, the beautiful white picket fence, the land that you want, whatever it is you're dreaming about that you think will satisfy you. These are all the things that we use to try to feed ourselves um, satisfaction that really we only find in God. And we're about to see this in a second. But God is saying these are the diseases of the soul. That from Adam and Eve, we've been fighting our flesh. We've been fighting to truly believe God is who he says he is. And David is saying, the Lord heals that from you. And as we submit to him, as we repent of this disbelief, God is faithful to heal our souls. And he redeems our life from the pit. That he buys us back and wins us back from destruction. That we know one day all things will be made right. And we will live in a perfect eternity with God, reigning with God. That he is the one that takes us out of that pit. And so he restores and redeems us in this first section. And the second set of benefits that he presents to us, he says, he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Have you ever thought about that? That God crowns you. He, he says you're a royal son and a royal daughter, and he crowns you with steadfast love. Now, this word for steadfast love in the Hebrew is one of my favorite words, and I try to stay away from like these technical terms and the Hebrew, because I know sometimes they're just distracting. But it's just too good for me not to share with you. And the word is hesed. I want you to say that with me. Hesed. Hesed. That's the Hebrew word. If you're not spitting, you're not saying it correctly. Okay? That's how the Hebrew works. I'm kidding. I don't know how the Hebrew works. But hesed is God's steadfast love for you and for me. And we're going to come back to that in one second. But just keep that in mind. You've heard this repeated multiple times in here in this chapter. God's steadfast love and mercy. He crowns you. The word here is that he surrounds you with his steadfast love and his mercy that despite our sinfulness, despite our disbelief, despite us turning away from God, despite all the things that day to day we do, that even this morning we've already done, he crowns you with his steadfast love and his mercy. He satisfies you with good, with himself. Remember all these idols that we have, all these things that we pursue? This is the irony of those things. And, and I'll tell you firsthand, things and goals that I've set for my life, good things. Okay, good things that I've set for my life, but that I've made them ultimate things, that I've made them idols in my life. When I've acquired them, when I've accomplished them, they've not satisfied me the way I wanted them to satisfy me. Whether it be education, whether it be a career, whether it be finances, whether it be relationships, whatever you can fill in this category, you probably can attest as well that no matter what it is, you want it. You get it. And then it's not as satisfying as you think it is. But David is saying that's because our soul was created for a deeper satisfaction. And that satisfaction is only found in God. He crowns you with steadfast love, satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He crowns you, he satisfies you, and then he renews you. 
I'm no foreigner to the daily struggle that you and I face. I know we come here, we worship, we praise, and, and, and we're full of joy as we walk out, and then we wake up Monday morning back to whatever reality you have, and maybe that's a personal struggle you have at home. Maybe that's figuring out how to parent well. Maybe that's figuring out, Lord, am I going to be single my whole life? Lord, is this marriage really going to be this hard forever? Lord, am I not going to have kids? Whatever those struggles are, I understand. They're very present and they're very real. And so how can you navigate those struggles if not by renewing your strength like eagles? And that renewal of the strength happens as we worship God, not for what he can give us, but simply by acknowledging who he is in our lives. And so soulful worship is this awakening to the spirit, but it's also this remembrance of the personal experience we have with God. It's this remembrance of the personal experience we have with God. Maybe we've forgotten that God has saved us. He's brought us out of darkness into light. We've forgotten. And as we look back, maybe your application this week is quite as simple as this. Do what David did. Take a pen, take some paper, and just sit out this week and write out all the things you can remember God's done for you in your life. And I can guarantee that you will have many things to thank the Lord for just by doing something as practical as what David did, listing out all the benefits that we have from the Lord. So we move on to the next verse, six. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always shy, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Now, remember my favorite word, hesed? I'm about to show you why it's my favorite word. So I want you to turn with me because I want you to see where David is getting these words from. I want you to turn back with me to Exodus 34. This will be the last time I ask you to turn with me. I promise. Exodus 34. If you know anything about the story, let me put you, uh, give us a little context here. Moses has gotten up. He's gotten the Ten Commandments. And if you remember, while Moses is up with the Lord, receiving the word of the Lord that he's going to bring down to the people of Israel, what are the people doing down at the bottom of the mountain? They're worshiping a golden idol that they created, right? Sound familiar, right? We, we have these idols that we fight against. And so even the people of Israel, Moses is up there, comes down, finds the people of God worshiping this golden calf, gets upset, breaks the tablets, rebukes the people. He has to get another set of tablets. If you didn't know, there's two set of tablets that, that, um, that God gives to Moses. And so this is the second time God is coming to Moses with those tablets. And he says this in just a, a verse up, Moses says this to God. And we, we said this a little while ago. Verse 18 of 33, just quickly. Moses said, please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. That was Moses' request to God. Lord, show me your glory. And we know if, if Moses would have seen God's total glory, he would, have, he would have died. There's no way he would have survived that. And so what does God do? What does God do in response to this? How does God reveal himself? Well, this is where we get this text from uh, in, in Psalms. Chapter 34, verse 6. This is God's response to Moses. The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, that is Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in what? 
hesed, steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping, uh, sorry, yeah, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the, the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. And verse 8 says, and Moses' response to this quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. See, the, the proper response to God's revelation of himself is nothing else but worship. Moses knew this, saw this. David knew this about the, the experience Moses had and the experience the people of God had uh, with the Lord. And the proper response to a holy God is simply this worship. But here God reminds us that this is himself. His self-revelation is that he is full of hesed and emmet, steadfast love and faithfulness. This is his covenant love for you, that he does not abandon you, that he does not uh, remove himself from you, that you don't sin too much, that he forgets you. No, he is faithful. He is a covenant God that regardless of how you and I act, react, think, don't think, believe, don't believe, he is faithfully loving us. He's loved us since before time started. He has loved you and he has loved me and he had elected you to be here today to listen, to be reminded that his love for you is far greater than you can imagine. And that is a reason enough for you and I to worship this faithful God. And so David knew these words from Moses. David knew this experience of the people of Israel. And so he says in this third section of Psalm 103, he says that the Lord made his ways known to Moses, to the people of Israel. And by the way, now Moses, uh, sorry, David had these words for himself to believe. And so he started off with this internal individual call to worship, this internal reality to awaken, to worship God. And then he moves on to this more uh, public, corporate, uh, uh, historical invitation and when, what we find in this text is that uh, soulful worship helps us believe God at his word. Soulful worship helps us believe God at his word. And, and I intentionally use that phrasing because if you've ever said, Lord, show me your glory. Lord, I want to see you. Lord, I want to know you. Guess what? He's already revealed himself. And that's the reason why it's so important for you and me to be in the word every day. That's why it's so important for you and me to go back to scriptures because this is where we find the revelation of God. This is where we find his glory. This is where we find understanding and a deeper faith in who God is and who he says he is. And as we continually turn back to his word, as we continually run back to his scriptures, to the revelation of who he is, we begin to have a deeper belief, a deeper understanding, a deeper awareness of God's faithful work, even from Adam and Eve and even until now, even though he told them that they would surely die, and yes, he cast them out, he still made a way for them. That as we read through Genesis, we see God time and time again providing a way for his people. As we read through the Old Testament, we see time and time again God not forgetting, even though he says he is full of justice and, 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 and perfect righteousness, he's also full of love and perfect mercy. And that is the reason we can trust this faithful God that even from then to the New Testament, to Paul. Paul to the church and to us now, a couple of thousand years later, he is still proving faithful every day. He's still proving his love to you every day, showing you his love every day. And that is reason enough for us to worship him. Why? Because it's so easy for us to disbelieve this. Tim Keller says this about uh, obedience. He says, how do you change uh, what you do? How do you change your behavior? You change what you worship. And he's, he's so, like, I love listening to some Keller because he just makes things so accessible to us. And, and this is what David is doing here. He's saying, hey, uh, there are things in my life that don't line up with who I know God is. 
There's some things in my life that don't line up with his holiness. How is that going to change me if not by worshiping the one, the creator, the one who saved me, the one who's forgiven me, the one who's healing me, the one who from the time of Moses has been doing this faithfully for his people? So do you want to change things in your life? Are there things in you that you yet still struggle with? My brother and sister, it's, it's the starting point for that change is worshiping God for who he is, that we would truly at our heart believe him for who he says he is. And let's finish out these last couple of sections. Verse 11 through 19. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. The second to last thing that soulful worship gives us is it helps us have a true perspective of ourselves and of God. Soulful worship gives us a true perspective of ourselves and our God. And this is what David is pointing out for us here. He says that God is as high as his love is as high as the heavens are. Have you ever stopped to think about the galaxy in the universe? We are in Houston, right? We have this place called NASA just down the street from us that that's what they focus on. And they've estimated recently that, that the furthest, that it would take us 225 uh, trillion years to get to the end of the universe, going at the speed of light. 225 trillion years to get to the end of the universe. That's their estimation. I want you to just think about how infinite that really is. We would never reach that end. And David's saying, that's how much love God has toward you and to me. We can't even measure it. It's so beyond our understanding. His steadfast, his hesed love toward those who fear him is that large. It's so far as the east is from the west. Could any of us measure the east from the west? We cannot. It's impossible. And that's David's point, points here is that we have a true perspective of who God is, that he is eternal, that he's everlasting, that he is infinite, that he is beyond us. And yet, verse 15 shows us that this infinite God is also like this. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Think about the kind of love you have for your kids. Think about what you would do for them, what you would sacrifice for them, how far you would be willing to go for them. Well, the Lord is that way with us. This infinite, eternal God loves you and loves me like a father. And regardless of our struggles, regardless of the things that we're going through, he is close to us. He loves us. He is compassionate the way a father is. And he says, verse 14, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for a man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower for the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. God knows that our life here is temporal. At the times we forget, we think that this is it, these 80, 90, maybe 100 years that we get, we, we think they're, they're it. And yet they're a small point in this eternal spectrum. And God is saying that he has something great for you and for me in this time frame that we have these 80, 90, 100 years here on earth. And that is that we would discover the depths of his love, that we would discover the depths of his holiness, and that our response to that would be obedience, that it would be loving obedience because he is worth that and so much more from us. And so we have this true perspective of ourselves that we are not our own gods that we are not our own gods and we can't save ourselves, that we need this eternal God, this loving Father to be near to us day in and day out. And then verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children's to those who what? Keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. It's so easy for us to forget, fam. 
That's why David yet again has to remind himself, not just to not forget God's benefits, but now he has to remind himself, hey, remember to keep his commandments. Remember that he is worth keeping these commandments. There's a reason why he's given us these commandments. It's for our good and for his glory. And so my proper response to this infinite, everlasting, loving, faithful, covenant-keeping God is simply loving obedience and surrender and total worship to him. Why? Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. He is sovereign. He is completely in control. When we forget that, we try to step into the driver's seat and take control ourselves. But David has to remind himself, the Lord is king over all. He has established his dominion over everything. And so I can trust that my life is safe and secure in my father who is king over everything. So soul for worship gives us true perspective of self of God. And finally, we'll land here in, the, in these last three verses. Verse 20. Bless the Lord, all you his angels, you mighty ones to do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, all my soul. We've seen this crescendo from the self, from the internal, bless the Lord to this corporate, hey, let's, let us not forget what the Lord has done. And now he is not saying, that's not enough. This holy God is so great. This holy God is so infinite, so everlasting, so amazing. That is not just enough for me to worship. It's not just enough for us to worship. Now he's pleading with all of creation. He is pleading with the angels who were created to worship God daily. He's saying, hey, y'all keep doing what you're doing because the Lord is worthy of that. And then he says, all of creation, all of creation screams of God's glory. And now he's inviting all of creation to worship it. And you'll find this in Psalm 148, where he, he literally invites the sun, the moon, the stars, the creatures in the seas, the creatures on land. He invites everything to worship this living God because God is worth it. And as if that's not enough, he, he says, here at the very end, all you host his ministers who do his will. That's you and that's me. He's pointing to you and to me, and he's saying, hey, let's not forget this great, eternal, everlasting, faithful, loving Father that we have. Let us worship him. And the final thing we find in these verses is that soulful, soulful worship is invitational. Soulful worship is invitational. You see, as you live this gospel-centered life, as you allow the gospel to inform your life, to, to, to repent of the disbelief that you have so that you can turn to a holy God, as, as you do these things, as you share the gospel with your neighbors, with your friends, with your coworkers, with your family that don't yet know Christ, they, they're also needing to see you and I celebrate, rejoice. They're needing to see us truly be uh, alive because of what God has done for us. And so maybe your application point this week is quite simple. Maybe you're going to write down some of the things that God has done for you. But maybe it's simply sharing that list with a friend here in this room, in your neighborhood. Maybe it's sharing it with a coworker or a friend that doesn't yet know God because the, the people around us that don't yet know this living God will, will know, the, know this God by his works, by what he's done in our personal lives. But we must share that with the world around us. We must share these good news of Jesus, of what he's done in our lives. And we have to celebrate it. And we can only celebrate it if we truly believe it. But if we've forgotten, then we have to turn our souls. We have to awaken our souls back to this faithful and soulful worship that David is showing us is a possibility in our daily life. 
I remember back when uh, Yeti cups first came out. I bought one, it was a $40 cup, and it was the most I had ever spent on a cup. And I was so excited about it because it kept ice for 48 hours. Like, when would I ever need to keep ice for 48 hours in a cup, right? But I carry this, this uh, Yeti cup around with me, and everywhere I went, people would make fun of me because I would, I, I mean, they thought I was marketing and I was getting paid by Yeti because I'd tell everybody, y'all got to get this cup. This cup is so good. You don't even know what you're missing in life. You need this cup in your life. And I always think back to that because it was so easy for me to talk about this Yeti cup and all the amazing things it did and how it kept my drink cool and how it kept ice for 48 hours. Something as simple and silly as this cup was so easy for me to just to carry everywhere I went and tell everybody around me because I was so excited, so like overjoyed of the things that it could do. How much more will I not share the gospel, the good news of Jesus and what he's done in my life with the world around me? It should be so natural for me to share that with people because I am seeing him work in my life every single day. He's so merciful and so gracious with me that even when I turn, even when I disbelieve, even when I act and react in ways that are not keeping with him and his holiness, he is so gracious to me. He loves me and he welcomes me back when I repent and I believe in his gospel. And so maybe the charge for you this week is to go share those good news with a neighbor, with a friend, with someone that you know God's been putting in your heart. You need to share the good news with them. And the way you do that is simply by proclaiming all the goodness of God in your life and in my life. And so he invites the whole universe to worship, and he ends where he started. Hey, this starts with me. Bless the Lord, O my soul. In 1974, there was uh, this kid that was born in England to a fairly dysfunctional family. And he, uh, his father um, took his own life when, he, when the kid was seven years old. He didn't find out about this until he was 10. And his, uh, his mother later remarried, remarried a man who was very abusive, who would end up going to jail because he was that abusive with his family. And this, and this young boy becomes a young adult, ends up in a, a mission uh, gathering in England, and hears the gospel and comes to faith. And this, this young man is pretty gifted musically and lyrically, and years later comes across Psalm 103. And from there, he writes a song that you and I sing, and it's called 10,000 Reasons. See, this young man knew the soulful worship, knew where God had taken him from. And he took David's guide for soulful, soulful worship. And this has been happening for many generations, by the way. This Psalm 103 has been that steadying anchor for what true worship looks like in you and in me in our daily lives. So I just pray that as we walk out of here, as we sing and take communion, that, that, that you would think about ways you could take this psalm and that in your daily life, you would truly turn back to God and that you and I would worship him because he deserves it. He deserves that and so much more. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.